As we study through the book of 1 John, again, we have discovered the meaning, the purpose of the book is to uh, give evidences, some, some proofs, some tangible things that we might know that we have eternal life and that knowing, uh, according to 1 John 5.13, that we might, as we know, that we might also continue to grow. And uh, the Lord doesn't just want us to know that we have, have eternal life without uh, the purpose of that knowledge impacting our spiritual growth. And so verse 13 unpacks that for us, gives us the theme of the book, which is these things that I've written unto you that you might know that you have eternal life and that um, you might believe in, in, in some versions. It, it restates the uh, phrase that happened before um, to reiterate the fact that, that you believe and that leads to knowing and that leads to greater believing. And then there are some fruits that happen as a result of knowing. In other words, the more we know, the more confidence we have in what Christ has done for, for us, what Christ is doing in us, and what Christ is doing through us, there are, there are fruits that come as a result of knowing that we are, we are Christians. And, and not just knowing that we are Christians based upon some human structure or, or uh, religion or ceremony, but knowing that we are Christians based upon the Word of God. And, and the, when the Word of God gives us a, a, a guideline or, or a pattern by which we can know that we are His, uh, I think of what He says in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. He gives a whole list of, of identities, those who are um, adulterers and fornicators and haters and angry. And he gives a whole list of things and He says, I, I just want you to know this, that those who are identified by these things or those who live in the, these lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God. But I've had people stand right in front of my face and say, I, I live in this lifestyle, and I know that I'm a part of the kingdom of God. Well, that's, that's, that's a, a very, very weak foundation for a person's salvation. As a matter of fact, the confidence that they have in their salvation is contrary to what the Word of God says. So the confidence that the Lord speaks of here is not built around some uh, experience that you had, but it's built around the presence of God in your life today, not yesterday, not tomorrow, but it's built around what God is doing in your life right now in this moment. Um, that's why the book of 1 John um, uses the present tense for all the verbs that are used to describe somebody who is a believer. It's talking about somebody who continues to manifest these fruits in their life. We also want to make, it, make sure that you know that the fruits that, that are manifested because we are Christians must never be placed as the source of becoming a Christian. They must never be placed in front of salvation, but almost was, must always follow salvation. In other words, I produce Right, I do righteous acts because Christ lives in me. I don't do righteous acts so that Christ will live in me. We start from the point of victory, and we work from there. We are not working towards a victory that has already been accomplished. Does that make sense? Very important that we understand that. In the verses that we're going to look at this morning, and we looked at last week, um, our, our fruits, their, their evidences, their um, areas in which we grow as we know. Now, last week's message was entitled, Knowing, How Knowing Impacts Praying. 
And this week's message is how knowing impacts interceding. And we know that interceding is a type of prayer, but, but maybe a little bit of a different type of prayer. Let's read. I want to read them to you again. Uh, Michael's already read them, but just read these two verses, really four verses here to you, beginning in verse 14. He says, and this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked from him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he will ask and God will give him life. To those who commit sins that do not lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. Now, I don't know about you, but um, there's a part of me that has a hard time wrapping my, my, my mind around what he just said. Okay? It's, it's kind of a, almost like a circular way of talking, and you just really have to stop and meditate on what's actually being said in, in these last two verses that I mentioned to really understand what uh, John is trying to communicate to us about the will of God. Now, last week we learned about our prayer life, that as we grow in knowing who we are in Christ, our prayer life becomes more free, um, uh, fearless would be another word for that. It becomes bold, it becomes uh, uh, um, blunt, it becomes conversational. Our prayer life becomes conversational. We talk to God. When the Lord says pray without ceasing, what he's referring to is, is that as you're going throughout your day, you're constantly talking to the Lord. It's not the ritual or the structure that we think of when we think of prayer as being some kind of a, a set-aside momentary time or, or ex- expansive time that we sit down and, and ritualistically pray. It is having a constant communication with God. It is talking to God as you go and you're, and you're getting ready to get in your car and you say, Lord, please keep us safe as we go here. How many of us do that? And don't raise your hand, but very few of us do that, don't we? Do you know the reason why we do that? We, the reason why we don't do that is because we don't think that's prayer. We think that prayer has to be some kind of long, drawn-out thing where we kneel down and we say all the right words, but just saying, Lord, please keep us safe, that is prayer. Somebody calls you on the phone and says, hey, I'm really struggling with this. And we say, I'll pray for you. What do we think? We think, let's add that to our list so that next time we're praying, we can ask the Lord for this. Well, why not just say, Lord, please help this situation right now? That is praying for that situation. As many prayer requests as I get, that's what I do. Lord, please, right now, Michael is struggling with this or somebody else is struggling with this or whatever might be the case. Lord, please help them in this situation. That is, that is being in constant communication with God. That's relational communication with God. Our kids don't come up to us and say, hey, Dad, I'm struggling with this. Next time you, next time you come into your time, uh, uh, think about it and, 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 and maybe you can answer it for me. They come and they ask us what they need, don't they? And they expect an answer. The, the knowing who we are in Christ leads us to being uh, free in our prayer. It leads us to praying continually, asking, we talked about this last week, asking for anything and asking for everything. Okay, praying about everything. Um, praying trust, trustingly, knowing that God is not going to give us anything that is not good for us, right? We believe that. <laughs> 
We can ask for anything and we can know that God is not going to give us anything that's not good for us. That there's such a comfort in that. Sometimes we fear asking for the wrong thing that God might give it to us. We can't ask for the wrong thing. When you're communing with God, you ask him for anything and everything, and you have confidence that he will only give you what is right and what is good. And there's extraordinary blessing in knowing that. I said this last week, and I think it's valuable to repeat it. We often try to find out God's will before we pray instead of letting our prayers Letting our, God's answer to our prayers reveal God's will. God's will is most displayed by how he answers our prayer. I'm not going to pray for that. It might not be God's will. Well, how are you going to ever know? You ask God for it. We pray trustingly that he will only give us what is within his will and what is good. And then we pray teachably. Meaning that we pray seeking to know God's will. We pray seeking to know God's will, not seeking to get our will accomplished, because then if you pray and you don't get what you ask for, you get upset, right? But if you pray and don't get what you ask for because you were seeking God's will, what do you conclude? It wasn't God's will. What did Paul do? He prayed three times that this certain infirmity would be taken away from him, right? And then when God said no to him, he said, therefore, I will glory in my infirmity. In other words, he said, this must be God's will for me to have this infirmity. So it it changes his whole perspective of his infirmity because he now sees it as being God's will. Does that make sense? It changes how we view things when we ask God for something and he gives us an answer. We can view it as being now, okay, God, I accept your answer and I now will glory in whatever infirmity or whatever you might send my way. Remember these verses, James 1.17, it says that he only gives us good gifts. Every good and every perfect gift comes from above. Um, in Romans 8.28, it says <coughs> he only gives us what is helpful. In Philippians 4.19, he says he gives us all of our needs. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says he will not give us anything that we cannot handle. So we can pray freely, we can pray openly, and God will answer our prayer. That was last week. This week we're going to talk for the, for the remainder of our time about intercession. And intercession is a, is a type of prayer, but it's not, it's not necessarily a, a, a praying for ourselves. But intercession, by definition, means that you're praying for others. Um, the definition of the word means to, to fall in with somebody. You, you've heard of somebody having a falling out Right? This word means to fall in. It means that you're joining in, you're connecting with somebody, and you're partnering with them for their good and their benefit and connecting with God on their behalf. Okay? We intercede for others. We stand in the gap, if you will. And there might be somebody who is struggling in their prayer life, maybe even somebody who is an unbeliever, and we are going to God on their behalf because they may not be going to God. They may not be connecting with God. And we want to be that connection for them to God. And that's what uh, verse um, 16 and 17 talk about. Is going to God on the behalf of somebody else. Um, If you have time, you can read Ezekiel 22, 29 through 31. Uh, We won't read it right now, but we have a, a good picture in that text of scripture of what it means to intercede. 
Uh, Romans 8, 27, the Bible says that the, that the Spirit of God intercedes for us. He, he speaks on our benefit, for our benefit. Uh, Romans 8, 34 says that Jesus Christ speaks for our benefit. And, and the word simply means, again, to falling in with or to intercede or to mediate. Uh, kind, of, kind of a, a go-between. In, in 1 Timothy 2 and verse 1, uh, Paul tells Timothy, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. And so Paul tells Timothy, as a minister of the gospel, to be interceding, to be praying on the behalf of of all people. And he describes further what he's talking about there in 1 Timothy, but we'll look at that a little bit later. Let me give you a few quotes, and then we're going to get into our text and and see what the Lord has for us in regards to this idea of interceding, of praying on the behalf of others. Charles Spurgeon said this, No man can do me a truer kindness in this world than to pray for me. It's a powerful statement, isn't it? No man can do a truer kindness in this world to me than to pray for me. Oswald Chambers said this, Can Jesus Christ see the agony of his soul in us? Question. He can't unless we are so closely identified with him that we have his view concerning the people for whom we pray. May we learn to intercede so wholeheartedly that Jesus Christ will be completely and overwhelmingly satisfied with us as intercessors. Might we intercede with a heart for others? Might we reach out to God with, a, with a, a merciful and gracious heart for the benefit and the blessings of those who are around us? Now, let's bring it back to the context here of Scripture. What does knowing that you have eternal life matter in regards to intercession? How can your confidence in your relationship with God impact your intercession? How can it make you a better interceder if you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are a believer? You are one with Christ, one with God through Christ. How does it impact us? How does it impact our prayer life? Well, we're going to look at that. I'm going to look at, we're going to look at four things this morning about how knowing, having this confidence that we are one with Christ impacts our intercession, how it changes the way that we intercede. First of all, point number one, if you're taking notes, who are the best intercessors? Who are the best intercessors? The Bible says in James 5 and verse 16, towards the end of that verse, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man accomplishes much. That's the King James Version uh, quote. Let me read to you the ESV here. The prayer of a righteous man has great power as it is working. So there's something unique about the prayer, the intercession intercession of somebody who is intimately connected with the Lord. There's something different about somebody who is walking closely with God, who has has a a, a confidence in their relationship and their walk with God. There's something different about their intercession for other people than those who are not confident in their relationship with God and are not walking closely to the Lord. We 
as believers, have a calling to to have a, a close relationship with the Lord and intimacy with the Lord, not just for our own benefit, but for also for the benefit of other people, for the benefit of our children, for the benefit of our loved ones. We can we can impact the relationship that God has with them by having the right relationship with God. We can intercede for them. We can stand on their behalf in the same way that Jesus stands on our behalf and we're able to have an intimate relationship with God based upon Jesus interceding for us. We can stand in, the, uh, in, the, in between or as a mediator of, for other people. We can intercede for them. And that intercession, we, we don't think the Lord cares. All we have to do is read through James chapter number five. The Bible talks about the Lord stopping the rain at the prayer of one of his, at the one of his prophets. The prayer of his prophet caused the rain to stop for three and a half years and caused it to come back again. And he says that prophet is no different than we are. Acts 12 and verse five says, and Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. While the prayer <coughs> of one who was unsure of their eternal condition and destiny includes much about self, the prayer of somebody who knows who they are in Christ, knows their spiritual condition and well-being, and knows their eternal destiny will often be more about others than it is about self. When we know that we have, we have intimacy with God, we know that we have a relationship with God, we know that there's nothing between us and God except Jesus Christ, and therefore he is satisfied with us and pleased with us, our prayers become less about self and more about others. Does that make sense? Our prayers become more intercession than they are prayers for our benefit and our blessing. They become more about other people's needs than they are about our needs. Because ultimately, isn't it true that if you're a Christian this morning, if you are 100% confident that you are one of God's children, isn't it true that your greatest need is completely fulfilled and satisfied? Isn't it true that the greatest need that this world has is completely satisfied in your life? Is that true? So you really have very little to worry about when it comes to self, right? If you're, if you're focused on the, these eternal things, you have very little to worry about when it comes to self. You have much to pray about when it comes to other people. So the greatest intercessor, three things about the greatest intercessor. Number one is those who acknowledge, who have acknowledged their own spiritual condition, those who have acknowledged their own sinfulness, remember this. It is difficult or next to impossible to pray for somebody that you do not understand, do not connect with, or you are judging them. It is very difficult to intercede for somebody that you're judging. And the only way that you're going to ever overcome the mentality of being a judge is if you're able to see yourself in those people. Or to see them in you to understand your sinfulness and, and your condition prior to Jesus Christ coming in and, and cleaning house. You will not ever be able to properly intercede for other people until you see who you were before somebody interceded for you. And somebody did. 
possibly and probably another human being, but, but if you're saved this morning, obviously Jesus Christ did. Struggling people are more compassionate and merciful with struggling people. Struggling people are more compassionate and merciful with struggling people. We know the text in Matthew 7, verse 1 through 5, the Bible says to um, be careful about judgment. Be be careful about passing judgment. He says, um, make sure that you have taken the beam out of your own eye before you start dealing with the dust that's in other people's eyes, right? And the implication of that text is, is simply this. We have to identify. We have to recognize that when we go to deal with somebody else, we are dealing with them in their brokenness, and we are what? We are broken. The most humbling thing when you go to deal with somebody in their brokenness is to realize that you're broken as well. You're not coming to fix their problems because you don't have any. You're coming to fix their problems because you have a lot. You are able, we are able to be compassionate and kind to people when we understand how much compassion and kindness God has shown us today. We're only sitting at 1035, and we have experienced so much compassion and kindness already today. When we can realize that, when we can embrace that, when we can know who we were before we were saved and know the mercy of God that he showed us, we will be able to then manifest and minister that to other people. Let me read to you out of 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 and 4. The Bible says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comforts, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. You see, it it, it boils back, folks. If we're going to be interceders on the behalf of other people, we have to understand and acknowledge who we were and where we were at when God in Jesus interceded for us. Number one. Number two, in regards to who are the best interceders. Those who have experienced and acknowledged God's grace. In other words... You will be a great interceder when you know that anything and everything good in your life is a gift. When you know that you haven't earned it or deserved it. We talked this morning in our prayer prayer time, we talked about how if we look at our blessings as being earned and other people don't have the same blessings as we have, what we will do is we will judge them because they haven't earned it. And we will tell them, get your life together. Hey, you want the same blessings that I have? Get your life together. And we're totally judgmental of them because we think we earned something, right? On the other end of the spectrum, if we think that we've been gifted something, we look at somebody who doesn't have the same gift and we plead with the one who is able to give it to them as a, as a gift, not as something that they earn, not that they clean their life up, not that they do better at this or do better at that, but that God would graciously give them what God has graciously given us. Right? 
That's what we want for them. But if we don't embrace the fact that the gifts that God has given us are gifts, they're not wages, they haven't been earned or deserved, that he has freely given to us the gifts that he has given us, right? Freely given to us and that we also then ought to freely give them to others. Matthew 10 and verse 8, the Bible says, Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse leopards, cast out demons. You recede without payment. Give without expecting pay. Give without expecting pay. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For you, for he, for who sees anything different in you, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, Or another way of saying that is, what do you have that you were not gifted? If you then were gifted it, why do you boast as if you were not gifted it? Our judgmental attitude towards others does not come from a humble heart that recognizes all that we have is a gift from God and that we should actually be in their boat and not in the one that we're in who are the best interceders, those who acknowledge their sins. That's what he says here in this text. Those who understand 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. We know who we are without Christ. We know who we are without Jesus. They're the best interceders. Those who know who they are without Christ, those who know that they've experienced God's grace as a free gift, that God has showered on them blessing. We are very judgmental of people. Listen to me, folks. The clothes that are on your back and the roof that you sit under and the food that is in your refrigerator, they're all gifts from God. And may we look at other people who doesn't have those same gifts and may we plead to God for them as interceders. Those who have experienced God's grace and understand the gifting. Number three, those who are sure of their eternal destiny. Those who are sure of their eternal destiny. 2 Timothy 1.12, Paul says about his suffering, which is why I suffer as I do, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced, I am persuaded, that he is able to guard <coughs> until that day what has been entrusted to me. We know who we are in Christ, and we know it's a gift And we know who we were, and therefore we intercede on the behalf of others. Number two, what is the focus of our intercession? What is the focus of our intercession? Notice what the text says. Again, first of all, he says, who's the best? Those who know who they are in Christ. Number two, he says, if anyone sees his brother without food, make sure he has food. Is that what your version says? Does anybody's version say that? Because you had a different version than mine. If anyone sees his brother sinning, what is the issue here? What is the intercession about? John is not worried about their physical condition as much as he is worried about their spiritual condition. John is concerned when he sees somebody walking in sin. John is concerned when he sees somebody that is struggling with sin. That's what concerns John's heart. And when we know who we are in Christ and we know what we have in Christ spiritually, not physically, but spiritually, then we will pray and desire for other people to have the same thing in Christ. 
our intercession is focused on the spiritual and not the carnal. We have received eternal life. We have been given God's Christ's life as a gift. And therefore, our focus in life is no longer on needing food and needing clothes and needing houses and needing cars. But our purpose of life becomes needing Christ. When we pray, Lord God, please give this person food and please give this person a new house and please give this person a new car. Are we missing the boat? They don't need those things. What they need is they need Jesus Christ. When they embrace Jesus Christ, all of those things will be taken care of. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, right? That's the best Bible truth. When we get the, our relationship with Christ right, everything else is going to take care of itself. So our intercession is not about their physical needs. Our intercession is about our spiritual needs. And yes, sometimes we pray, God, please help this person to get better. And, and yes, we pray about those things. But listen, folks, the foundation, the focus of our prayer life is, God, please use this to grow them in faith. It's spiritual. The need is always spiritual. And sometimes the circumstances are very carnal, but the need is always spiritual. Even the greatest trial that you face in your life and the greatest trial that I face in life is not necessarily, it's not just a trial that we need to overcome. It's a test that we need to grow through. God is doing something to make us into the image of his son, to conform us into the image of Christ. He is concerned about our spiritual needs. John 17, which is the greatest I would say the greatest intercessory prayer in the word of God. And Jesus Christ is the one who prays it. And Jesus Christ prays all about our spiritual needs. In 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4, we read a few moments ago as as Paul says that prayers and, and, and supplications and intercessions be made to all men. In verse 4 it says, because the Lord desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. It doesn't say that he desires all men to be fed. It doesn't say he desires all men to be rich. It doesn't say he desires all men to be healthy. He says he desires all men to be saved. The need is spiritual. And the heart of God is spiritual. James 5 and verse 16, the Bible says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man availeth much. It is intercession focused on the spiritual needs. It's intercession focused on faith. Faith is simply seeing the invisible. It's seeing beyond the natural. It is intercession based upon faith. And then it is intercession that is motivated by sin. Again, you'll notice in the text, when you see somebody sinning a sin that does not lead to death, pray for that sin. If you see somebody sinning a sin that does lead to death, he says, do not pray for that sin. That's the motivation of John's intercession here. It is about finding, listen, it's about walking up to somebody and catching them in sin. What does he say? Judge them, right? Condemn them. No, he says, pray for them. Intercede on their behalf. 
Stand in the gap for them. Show them grace, humility, and mercy in the situation. Work to bless them and help them. Corey Ten Boone said it this way, discernment is God's call to intercession, not to fault finding. Discernment is God's call to intercession, not to fault finding. We find somebody in sin, they've missed the mark, they've fallen away. We intercede for them. We pray on their behalf. We reach out to God. God, please change their heart. God, please deliver them from that temptation or that struggle. Number three, who do we intercede for? The text seems to imply one group, and I'm going I'm to challenge you to think through this with me, okay? The Bible says if you see a brother committing a sin, you're to pray for them, right? You're to pray for that, for that sin. He says, um, <clears throat> if you see a brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin and there is sin that does not lead to death. So there are two types of sins mentioned here in this text. One that leads to death and one that does not lead to death. And there's two groups of people. One is a believing group and one is an unbelieving group. Okay, so the ones that committing a sin that does not lead to death, John says you're to pray for them. Okay, you're to pray for them that they would be delivered from that sin. Okay, you're to pray for them that they're to be, if you see a brother, somebody who uses the term brother here, he doesn't use it in relation to the other person. He says, if you see a brother sinning a sin that does not lead to death, you're to pray for them. Pray that they have life, or another way for that, he says that he will give them life. It's, the other word is just deliverance. The Lord will give them deliverance. Okay, He's already delivered them in Christ, and now there just needs to be a practical deliverance. So we're to pray. If I see a brother who is sinning a sin, I need to pray for them that the Lord will give them deliverance. God will give them life. Okay, Not salvation. They're already brothers, but God will give them life. If I see somebody who is sinning a sin that does lead, that does lead to death. Okay, now what is a sin that does lead to death? I believe that the next verse interprets it for us. And also, if you go back in chapter number three, I believe it is, it gives us the same idea. Somebody who is living in a lifestyle and a pattern of sin. Somebody who is walking in sin consistently. It's not something that they are struggling with or battling with, but it's something that they are under the power of. The Bible tells us in Romans 5, 6, and 7 that we're no longer under the power of sin, that we've been set free from the power of sin, therefore we're to walk as children of light, right? And we all know that we struggle with sin. There is a difference between somebody, if somebody is struggling with something, right, we pray for them. True? If somebody has dived in head first and they're they're playing in the water of sin, we don't pray that, that they would be delivered from that sin, do we? Is the problem... For somebody who is doven into sin and loving it, is the problem for them that sin? It's not, is it? The problem for them is their heart. Here's what John is saying. John is saying, if you find a brother that's sinning a sin that does not lead to death, pray for them. Pray for that. If you see a brother who is sinning a sin that does lead to death, do not pray for that. Notice the word there, do not pray for that. What is he saying? John is not disagreeing with the rest of Scripture where, Jesus, where, where Paul told, told Timothy to pray for all people, that they might be saved, right? 
What he is saying is this. You don't pray that they be delivered from that sin. You pray that they be saved. So who do we intercede for? We intercede for everyone. That's what our calling is. That's what 1 Timothy tells us, to pray for kings, to pray for rulers, to pray for everyone, that they might come to the knowledge of the truth. Our calling is to intercede for everyone, your neighbor. If they're lost, then you're to intercede for them. If you walk into church on Sunday and you know somebody in this church is walking in sin, you're to intercede that God would give them the strength and the wisdom to get out of it. But if you see somebody that is living a lifestyle of sin, you don't pray that they'll get out of that sin, you pray that they'll be saved. So who do we, pray, who do we intercede for? We intercede for everyone. And Paul, if you'll, if you'll take some time to read Romans 9, verse 1 through 3, um, you'll see Paul's heart as he intercedes for the Jews, even those whom at that point were not considered to be spiritually elect. He said, if I, could give my own, if I could give up my own salvation that they might be saved, I would do it. Paul's passion in his heart for those people. We intercede for everyone. We go back to the passage before. We intercede seeking to find out what God's will is, not to get our will done. If you intercede for somebody and God doesn't answer your prayer according to your will, does it mean that your prayer was not answered? Or does it mean that God's will differed from your will? See, it's so different in how we view how we view our prayers. So who do we intercede for? We intercede for everyone. When we know that our eternal life is sure, we will have a desire to make to help other people make the same sure as well. To have mercy is to want to show mercy. To have grace is to want to show grace. To have kindness is to want to show kindness. To have love is to want to know love. We intercede for everyone. And then lastly this morning, what do we intercede about? And I covered this already a little bit, so I'll give you a brief overview and then we'll be done. If we come to a sinning believer, somebody who is saved but sinning, they are not sinning continually uh, or sinning unto death. They are sinning, they are struggling in sin. We are to pray that God would bring them conviction God would cause them to have confession. God would show them mercy and God would show them grace. That should be our prayer. God, deliver this person from whatever sin they are struggling with. And the Lord is capable of doing that. Amen? The Lord can deliver anyone from any sin. He's already delivered us from the ultimate sin of unbelief. Now he needs to just deliver us from the daily sin. And we need that. Amen? And then a sinful unbeliever, somebody who is not just sinning, but somebody whose heart is sinful, we need to pray that that person be saved. We intercede for their salvation, not for, their, um, not for them to overcome the sin. They, they have no power to overcome the sin, honestly, folks. They have no power at all. To say, Lord, please help them to overcome this sin is, is asking the Lord to do something that is impossible. He can save them but he will not give them the power to overcome sin in their unsaved condition. So we pray for them that God would bring salvation to them, deliver them from themselves, and then after that, we can pray that God would deliver them from their sins. It's important that we don't get the cart in front of the horse. Charles Spurgeon says this, 
If sinners be damned, at least let them leap into hell over our bodies. If they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees. Let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. We are to intercede. We're to stand in the gap. We're to speak to God on behalf of other people. You say, Pastor John, who do I intercede for? Well, I tell you who I would intercede for. You start off with people that are right around you. That is your family members. Intercede on behalf of your family members. Intercede on the behalf of your children. Intercede on behalf of your mate. And then you go to your neighbors. Intercede on the behalf of your neighbor. How many of us have lost neighbors? Okay. Intercede for them. Intercede on the behalf of your coworkers. Intercede on the behalf of, of, your, of, your, of, our, of our leaders in our community. God doesn't expect us to intercede on everyone's behalf, but here's what he does expect us. Wherever he's put you and wherever he's connected you, intercede for those people. Intercede for them. Speak to God for them because they cannot. Does that make sense? And God, listen, that, the, most, the most humbling and challenging thing, and, and honestly, the most, one of the most revealing things about our spiritual life and our spiritual strength is when we leave ourselves to pray for others. When we seek the blessing of others over the needs of self. And, and oftentimes what God does is he blesses you back. I'm gonna close with this illustration. Um, I, I shared this this morning in our prayer time. Um, uh, back in Nebraska where I pastored, we had some family members that came to us and said, Pastor John, we have some kids that live in this other state and they are, they're lost and we just really have been praying that God would send somebody to them so that they would share the gospel with them so that they would be saved. They were praying that somebody would, would, would connect with them and, 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 and show them the gospel and they might be saved. And I thought that was great because they were interceding on behalf of their children, right? I asked these, this couple, I said, let me ask you something. What do you think if somebody in that same state is praying for their kid that lives next door to you to be saved? You see, it's not just we intercede and ask God for blessing and for things, but we're active. We say, Lord, what? Here, I'm asking you to do this in this area with my children. Maybe I need to do it in my own community, in my own life. Maybe I need to reach out and share the gospel with somebody whose their parents are praying for them right now. We often, folks, we often don't look at people, we often don't look at our world with these perspectives. But what God wants us is to have an eternal perspective. He wants us to look at life from the eternal point of view. And the only way that we can do that is when we solidify, we make solid who we are in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together this morning. Thank you for your word. And um, we pray that you would just continue to bless, use this to um, change our hearts in regards to how we view other people and to be a blessing to them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen.